Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. It is Thursday night, in fact it's Friday morning, because it's quarter past midnight, it is dark overhead, it is blustery, we've had rain today, we've had the roof in action, we've really got to sample that tonight, after it was first used just very briefly by Rafael Nadal a night before, and uh, it's meant that Andy Murray's played best part of a full match underneath it we've also had Venus Williams winning through on that uh, centre court at Arthur Ashe Stadium Serena Williams winning today in front of Beyonce so all the stars have been in town with Beyonce and Jay-Z and then a, a lovely sort of fairy tale finish for one Martin Del Potro coming back onto the stadium court that made his name in 2009 uh, of course, when he beat Roger Federer back then to win the title. And there he was beating Steve Johnson uh, to a rapturous reception. It was quite something to see the American player actually not getting a, the majority of the sport support. That's how popular Juan Martin Del Potro is. I'm David Law from BBC Radio 5 Live, presenting this alongside Simon Briggs from The Telegraph. We've just put in a, a three-and-a-half-hour stint <laughs> on a 5 Live Sports Extra together, Simon. And we were describing... Another British victory for Dan Evans this time. Dan Evans taking out 27th seed, Alex Verev, the coming man, the future number one, according to all the pundits. And uh, who would have thought that Evans would beat him almost in straight sets? He didn't quite get it done in the end. He had to go to four. But crikey, he held his nerve and he was absolutely surging at the end. He was cracking winners, backhand, forehand, drop shots, smashes. He was everywhere, wasn't he? He was just absolute little yellow blur of energy. <laughs> yes, because he was wearing the tennis ball yellow that's become such a, a theme and so popular here at the US Open so far this year. So Evans into the third round alongside Kyle Edmund, who plays on Friday up against John Isner on the Louis Armstrong Arena. They're going to be playing, uh, I think it is. No, actually, no, they're, are they on the, yeah, they're on the Louis Armstrong Arena and they're going to be fourth on. So around about 10.30 UK time, about 5.30 in the afternoon in on the East Coast 
coast of the United States. So that's uh, something to look forward to. But three British players now on the men's side, Simon, into the third round of the US Open. And we were we were looking through the, the stats and, and we were having a little bit of help from one of our listeners at GB Tennis, who's a crazy mad statistician. and, and uh, really <laughs> call him mad. He doesn't like being called mad. All right, well, he's really good. He's really good statistician and thank goodness for him. Uh, and anyway, he, he, he dates back to 1968, the last time Britain had three men into the third round of the US Open. That is unconfirmed. We haven't managed to verify that against anybody else's uh, data at this point, but he doesn't get much wrong, that bloke. No, I think, and, and very much thank you to Stephen for that statistic and to all your other excellent um, supplying of, of, of stats to us. Uh, the, yes, the, the, the Davis Cup thing is fascinating as well, isn't it, with Edmund and Evans both going to third round. Leon's got all three contenders for that team still in the last 32 here. Suddenly, the the, the, the British tennis scene has never looked so rosy. All these guys have been around for a long time. It's not like we're, we're getting people coming through necessarily from the sort of the junior age ranks, but it's just people capitalising on their abilities and, and maximising their potential. And that's been a kind of heartwarming story. Even the Naomi Brody today um, played a strong match against Agnieszka Radvanska and took her to four set points in the first set didn't win the match but that's another development process for her and, and she'll continue to, to go from strength to strength if she keeps playing like that. Yeah you're right I mean th- a quick word on that I, I was mightily impressed with Naomi Bodie. she had four set points in that first set and she was taking it to Radvanska I think she really took Radvanska by surprise because not it wasn't just power she had the big serve that we know about she was hitting big forehand she was even into some big backhands but she was sometimes playing Radvanska at her own game I, I was really surprised by that yeah I think one of the problems with Radvanska was that she loves the lob but she's not used to playing a six foot two inch opponent so she kept on miscalibrating it and they kept on going long and uh, Radvanska's best tactic her, her, her uh, um, signature player bringing the opponent into the net suddenly became a little bit awkward for her and she was a little bit confused as to what the best options were in the end, she worked her way through. You know, she's one number four. She's uh, she's a machine when it comes to winning. But she, uh, it was a, a touch and go, definitely in that, that first set. Yeah, it certainly was touch and go indeed. Um, Simon, just on a quick last word on 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 Dan Evans. I mean, this does. I don't want to say it completes a story, but it be, but it feels like yet another big moment in his return i mean from 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 the absolute wilderness i mean yes he had that that moment three years ago when he got to the the third round and he very nearly made the fourth round and it but it was a false dawn ultimately because he didn't break the top hundred he kind of lost his way again he got some little injuries and and frankly seemed to lose a bit of interest and that's turned around and here he is now i mean he's going to be top 50 very soon well this will take him into the top 60 for sure um it's the way he plays as well, isn't it? It, it? There was so much self-assurance in the way he closed the match out. He's not necessarily been known for, for sitting under fire in, in all his, his big matches. We remember him making a bit of a mess of a, of a very strong situation against Robredo here three years ago in, in the third round. But today he, he weathered the storm when Zverev came at him in the, in the, in the third set and he finished stronger. He was, he was a better player. It, it was, there was no doubt about it. And against the guy of, of Zverev's quality, that was that was a serious display. It, it was indeed. Just a, a quick word as well on the uh, the Williams sisters. Both of them are through. They could potentially meet in the semi-finals here. Both look in, in superb form. It's going to take some some stopping them. Uh, I, I would suggest. What what else has caught your eye today? Of course, Andy Murray for a start. How did he play? 
Uh, not as well as he did against Rosal. So uh, having having said that they, he looked un- unbeatable after that one, uh, he was a little bit nervy at the end of the first set when Granolaire suddenly launched some net attacks and broke him back. He, you could see he was thinking about the French Open and about those long matches that he'd been dragged into and about the importance of getting it done. And actually that was so much at the top of his head that he, he clenched up a bit and, and made quite a few mistakes and had to sort of rely on sheer bloody-mindedness to get the first set done. But once that was over, he, he was good again and then he, he rolled pretty much through the second and third. So, yeah, it was fine. It wasn't quite as good as the first round, but it was fine. Yeah, and uh, his draw, frankly, just keeps on getting better, doesn't it? Because his next opponent has spent four hours and 54 minutes toiling against Gilles Simon. Simon would have been the one favoured to come through that. In the end, it's the Italian Paolo Lorenzi. About whom I, I know not a lot. <laughs> I don't know an awful lot about him either. I have seen him play. I mean, you know, a good player, but honestly, a, a player that, that Murray will unless something goes wrong, have his way with, really. Well, particularly, I mean, Lorenzi will be, will be crushed. I mean, for him, reaching the third round will now be... That, that's that's his, his achievement. I mean, I, be, I doubt if he will go out with as much self-belief after a five-hour match playing the uh, kind of honorary world number one of the moment um, on... Will it be Arthur Ashe? Perhaps it might be Louis Armstrong. It could be a rare example of a, of a match where Andy plays on Louis Armstrong without getting into a tangle, perhaps. Or... or that could end up being a bit of a problem because, I mean, I think we've, we've all identified that with Federer not around, Murray has a better chance of playing on Arthur Ashe Stadium every single day of this tournament, every single round of this tournament. You're right, that one might not be on it because his opponent isn't that well known. And that could in itself cause, cause problems because he's had problems there in the past. He has, but mostly against people who probably... Uh, not as knackered or quite as obscure as, as Lorenzi. I mean, Robin Haas has taken uh, a bite out of him on that court a couple of times. Chilich, who's obviously gone on to be a US Open champion, and, and by the way, looks like a contender again here this fortnight, has um, pushed him hard in that court. Uh, also, Feliciano Lopez. So, you know, these, these are slightly more established names than we're talking about with Lorenzi. So perhaps if, if he did play Lorenzi on Armstrong, it might be a chance to to maybe, maybe uh, put, put through a more of a smooth performance. We had that roof on today, Simon, and my word, we had the mother of all thunderstorms come over just to test it out with, with just extraordinary levels of, of rainfall clattering into the, the brand-new roof. Uh, a big talking point at the US Open since the roof has been brought in has been the noise on the court, the sort of ambient noise. Lots of occasions where the umpire has been saying to the crowd, could you please keep your, no- your voices down, your voices are carrying to the court. Even, even when they're not sort of calling out, they're just sort of having their normal US Open, I talk when I fancy it chat. It, it reminds me of a sort of indoor swimming pool. This is sort of the way that it just reverberates around the, the space because it's reflecting down now off the, off the roof rafters. Um, and as we know, the crowd here is not hugely respectful. And I, I don't really mean that as a criticism. I mean, they have a sort of energy about them. It's very different to Wimbledon. And I don't necessarily mind that. And actually, Andy was pretty sanguine about it in the press conference. He said, we're, we're used to adapting. We adapt to different balls. We adapt to different courts. If, uh, if it's going to be like this at the US Open, we will get used to that as well. But he didn't find it easy when the rain was coming down so hard that he couldn't hear his own ball strike let alone that of Granolaire's because as he said to us we play with our ears as well as our eyes and then we get a lot of information from the sound 
Novak Djokovic will be back in action tomorrow, as will Rafael Nadal. I think that they are matches on paper that, that uh, both of them should be able to handle. Because Netsov, I think it is for uh, Nadal. Isn't it Eugenie, I think, who's up against uh, uh, against Djokovic? Yes, in the afternoon. Um, Simon, a couple of days ago, was talking about the, the, the big question marks hanging over uh, Novak Djokovic in so many different ways at the moment. For, for, for his health, we don't know what sort of physical fitness he's in. And also... How, how into it he is just at the moment with, with maybe his mind being a little bit elsewhere with, with, with matters at home, whether things are going that well for him just at the moment, and we don't know full details, of course. I had an opportunity on BBC Radio 5 Live to talk to a man who was also world number one in 1988 and who was dominant, who won three of the four Grand Slam tournaments in 1988, Mr. Mats Velander, and the year after, Mats had a really difficult time in 1989. He was unable to, to repeat that success at all. And I was very curious to find out from him whether there were any similarities, whether uh, maybe there might be some issues that he went through that he could relate to with what Djokovic... I mean, let's not overreact. It's only a couple of tournaments where he's had early losses, but maybe there is something for us to learn there. So... Rather than us just talking about it, I spoke to somebody who may have been through that sort of situation. It appeared first on BBC Radio 5 Live, on 5 Live Tennis. We can play that for you now here on the Tennis Podcast. Here is Mats Verlander talking about Novak Djokovic and the challenges he faces just at the moment. Mats, what I wanted to briefly talk to you about is Novak Djokovic has got a, a walkover. He's through to the third round here at the US Open, but... In recent weeks, he, he, he struggled a bit, both physically and, well, it, it, it seems as though something else is maybe in his mind as well that doesn't quite look himself, to me at least. Um, I, ju- I just want to go back to, to when you had your best year of 88. You won three slams, and then it didn't quite carry on like that for you. And I just wondered, what is it like? Is it, do you, could you imagine that maybe he is going through something injuries and also maybe mentally that that is is something that only people like yourself would know about yeah i mean i think that it's um you know you could get unlucky in many ways too i mean you can't play uh, your very best all the time so in my situation um obviously 88 was a great was a great year 89 was was kind of okay i made a couple of quarterfinals uh my father got uh, terminally uh sick with cancer in september of 1989 so year after i was number one that happened and then he died six months later and that's a personal reason i couldn't get back from it so i know that in in the media it says novak has personal problems or personal reasons Suddenly life is more important than tennis and there's no way you can go out there and have that killer instinct when there's way more important things going on in your heart that doesn't that has nothing to do with tennis. So I think you need to be really happy and content off the court to be able to get the most out of you on the tennis court. And the fact is that the happier you are off the court, the more selfish you can be on the court and with your practice hours uh, and, and the, 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 the rehabilitation of injuries. And if you're not, if you, people around you are not that happy and you're not, it's very difficult and it's, it's sort of inhuman to then still be selfish. So I feel for him. I feel for the fact that everybody's talking about that something is going on. I think it's normal. We all go through that. And uh, I have uh, no reason to believe that when everything is settled, first of all, his wrist most probably, uh, and then when everything is settled on the, on the other personal issues, I'm sure that he'll be back chasing another Grand Slam. But at the moment, 
I think we should do him a favor and uh, and just realize he's human and, and he's he's struggling. Yeah, struggling. I, I just wanted, you know, he achieved his lifelong goal in many ways, winning the French Open, completing the, the, the career Grand Slam. Is there a point where, when you've won everything, that it sometimes is a little harder to get excited about trying to do it again? I think so, because winning the French, obviously now he's the eighth uh, man to win the career Grand Slam. Everybody was, was hoping for that to happen. I wanted to see it happen. Um, I wanted to see Andy Murray win, win Wimbledon, because I want to see a Brit win Wimbledon. Personally, after that, I don't really care if Andy Murray would have won another Grand Slam, and nor do I really care if Novak Djokovic wins another Grand Slam, nor do I care if Roger Federer... So I think, and I am one of many, and I think... It's, we're not witnessing history with Novak anymore. Now we're just witnessing the great, one of the greatest players of all time. So I think for him, the goals are harder to focus on when there isn't a number in mind. And I think Serena Williams going for 23, she's going to have no problem succeeding. Whereas going for 22 was tough for her. So Novak, he's going to have to dig deep. He's going to have people around him that's going to you know, push him in the right direction, help out with the situation. And I mean, I hope he gets back, but at the same time, it's important for people to realize what's important in life and how extremely good he has been for the last few years. But you don't think this is a major issue long term? I do not. I do not. I think that he has Boris Becker there for a reason. I think he's very driven. I think he knows that he can reach Roger Federer's 17 Grand Slams if he just keeps at it. Uh, I think that Andy Murray coming back and playing as well as he he is is a big problem for Novak. Uh, But uh, I really don't think it's a long-term thing. I surely hope it's not. Who's winning this one, though, do you think? Oh, I think Andy Murray is clearly the favorite. But at the same time, he's never been the favorite to win a Grand Slam before. And I think the pressure is heavy on Andy, but the way he's playing right now, he's clearly the best player in the world. So that's Mats Velander talking Novak Djokovic, Simon. And he also ended that interview by saying that Andy Murray, to his mind, is the best player in the world at the moment. Big words, but ones I think that you <laughs> maybe agree with just a little Well, moment. yeah, after, after, I mean, I was being slightly facetious when I said give it to Andy after the first round. I think people didn't take me too seriously, but... I, I still think that he's he's been head and shoulders the best player this this summer since the the return of Ivan Lendl, uh, and I do think that the the obvious threats here uh, there'll be Del Potro again, Rafa, and the other guy I, I think we need to look out for is Marin Cilic. I think he uh, the way he played in Cincinnati, Andy wasn't any, anywhere near his best, but Cilic did dictate and he can dictate, and there aren't many people who have got the power to hit Andy backwards anymore because he's got better at standing his ground, but Chilich could be one of them. He could. Dan Evans is on his way into the press conference, everybody, so we've got to go. We're the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. We'll speak to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.